Resurrection Assembly of God. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. October 9th, 2022. All of the saints, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. And who gained, as Paul said, by dying in Christ, that they may have eternal life. Um, our calling as Christians is that, you know, we're to look to the saints as people in whose footsteps we can follow. They walked the path before us. They walked the way before us. And we look to all of them because, you know, there's no single way of living Christ. We all have different and unique ways of living the life that Christ has for us to live. We are different members of one body. Unique gifts are given to each person for the building up of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, my grandmother knew how to cook, and she knew how to garden. I remember sitting in her kitchen, and she'd make uh, toast and put blue cheese and orange marmalade on it, and then she'd fry up some Scrapple. Does anybody know what Scrapple is? Is that just a Pennsylvania Dutch thing? I don't know. Scrapple is the scraps of something. I don't know what. And I remember just being so repulsed by the blue cheese and marmalade on the toast and just thinking, what in the world is going on? And now I think, you know, I could really go for that. <laughs> right? Uh, your taste buds change as you get older. I also like tomatoes now, as it turns out. My grandmother knew how to cook. She knew how to garden. My grandfather, he knew how to carve wood and forage wild berries. He would take me traipsing through the woods in utter and complete silence. He never talked when we were walking through the woods, but he would always lead me to the uh, largest of the raspberry brambles, and boy, it was a feast. My grandmother lived Christ, the dinner host and the gardener, because that's what Jesus did. He hosted dinner, and he was a gardener. My grandfather lived Christ, the carpenter, and the wilderness wanderer. And I think we can all find ways to live Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit's divine inspiration. So this is what we want to do. As we approach All Saints Sunday, we want to consider some saintly figures. We'll be doing that all the way up to October 30th when we celebrate what we call All Saints Sunday. Then we'll have, uh, after that, pre-Advent for the month of November. And then, of course, Advent comes after that then Christmas, and then, I can't remember what comes next. Maybe there's an Episcopalian in the room who can remind me. That one was for Emily, but, you know, our resident and long-term Episcopalian. Just kidding, Epiphany, okay? That's what comes next. I know it. So today, I want to look briefly at how Paul presents two Christians as living Christ in the book of Philippians. Two Christians who not only imitated Christ, but who participated, do you hear that? That's the rocks crying out. I told you the doors wouldn't do anything. Two Christians who not only imitated Jesus Christ, but who participated in the life of Christ. Um, and that's, by the way, why we say it rather awkwardly. To live is Christ. The grammar of that is actually really important for us as Christians. We don't want only to live like Christ. We want to live Christ's life. We already read it this morning, but I want to remind you just very briefly what we read in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus Christ our Lord. 
before we get to these two Christians. Paul tells the church that he is writing to that they need to be like Jesus. As he puts it, they need to have the mind, the love, and the life of Christ together. He says that Jesus was equal with God, the Father, yet didn't count his equality a thing to be grasped, and instead became a servant, a slave even, and died in his obedience. And then was raised on the third day so that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is, in fact, Lord. That's where we read up to in Philippians chapter 2, all of that. So with that context in mind, we're going to read one more passage in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. You can turn there in your pew Bibles. I, for once, remember to bookmark mine, so I'm not trying to shuffle pages with a single hand. Philippians chapter 2. It's on your bookmarks. It's on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, and it's on page 922 of your pew Bibles. Someone give me a thumbs up that you're ready. Okay. Let's read it together. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. Excuse me, served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as I see how it will go, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need. For he has been longing for, all, for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have, more so- lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Paul talks about being like Jesus in, these, in the passage that we read right before this that I summarized. And he says, again, not to just be like him, rather he wants us to be Jesus having the very mind of Jesus Christ as our own. Then he shows us that Jesus' life is one of servanthood and one of escaping death. And it might seem like Paul has kind of changed subjects now when he starts talking about this guy named Timothy and Epaphroditus. But I don't think he actually has changed subjects because what Paul has done here is he has described the two beloved men In Jesus-like ways, they are living Christ. Paul lives Christ, like all Christians are supposed to live Christ. But what Paul wants to do is he wants to present these two men to the church as living saints right before them, people who are embodying Jesus' own life. And I want to suggest to you that, well, by extension, the Holy Spirit presents presents them to us today as dead saints but are who's, who are still part of that great cloud of witnesses. So let me show you just very briefly what I mean. First Timothy, then Epaphroditus. 
Paul begins, this is Timothy, by telling them that he desperately wants to send Timothy to them. He wants to send Timothy to them because he loves them. And like news about your family when you've been long separated, you want to know what's up. How are they doing? It's nice to have Josh and Kara here because now we know how they're doing. I mean, we can FaceTime, but it's different, you know? It's nice to see Lydia and hold her, see how she's growing. Um, Paul wants to send Timothy to find out what's up so he can be cheered and he can be joyful and happy at some good news about the people that he loves like his own family. But I want you to notice how Paul describes both Timothy and his relationship to Timothy. Why does Paul want to send Timothy of all people? Why doesn't he want to send someone else? Well, it's because, as he puts it, he has no one like him. In other words, there is no one who is Paul's equal like Timothy is Paul's equal. He says that there is no one else who is as concerned for the church's welfare as Paul is, except this guy, Timothy. He and Paul are the same. They are two different people, but they are one heart and one soul. They have each other's minds, each other's love, each other's life. He describes their relationship as a father and a child kind of relationship. That's how similar they are. Now, of course, I get that not all people grow up with a father or a parent for that matter, um, and that might, not, that might mean that this doesn't immediately resonate with you, but for those of us who grew up with at least one parent, can easily see how we take on not just their cares and concerns, but their behaviors, their quirks, their mannerisms, their faults, weaknesses, strengths, and virtues. I slurp my soup like my father. I'm sorry for slurping, Holly. I also sigh like my father. My father and I both do this thing where sometimes when we're deep in thought, in silence, sitting on the couch, we stop breathing for like two or three seconds, and then we gasp for air. It's the weirdest thing. But me and my dad would both do it, and it stresses Holly out to no end. Because she's like, why, why did you stop breathing? I don't know. I do it because my father did it and continues to do it. Sometimes I snore like my father and keep my wife up at night like my father kept my mother up at night. Once again, I apologize. <laughs> Some of you have heard my father preach and know that there's a lot of similarity between our styles of public oration. It was a vulnerable moment for me when I let my dad into this pulpit, folks. My father and I are very similar. We also carry the same love for Jesus in our hearts and a deep and unending concern for the church. Paul says that this is what he has with Timothy. And yet, Timothy doesn't count his equality with Paul a thing of great importance. Rather, he makes himself a servant. Paul says that. He says, he's like my own child, and he has made himself a servant. And yet, even here, by not taking on the importance of Paul, he becomes like Paul because Paul says, we are servants together. So, Paul and Timothy, he's trying to build this case that they are very much the same person. But here's what I want you to notice. Paul and Timothy are living Christ. Timothy is a saint. But more specifically, I want you to notice how Paul describes Timothy and his relationship with Timothy as one that mirrors God itself, God himself. 
Paul has just told the church how Jesus, the child of God, the Son of God, was equal to God the Father. Yet he did not count that as something to be grasped and instead made himself a servant. Paul has just said that Timothy is his equal. Equal, we might say, in a way that is reminiscent, though not, of course, identical, to the way Jesus is equal to God the Father. And Paul's just said that Timothy has become a servant for the sake of the gospel in a way that is reminiscent of how Jesus became a servant by taking on flesh and by going to the cross and dying and rising again. Now, we, of course, got to be careful here. There is no way that Paul and Timothy are just like God the Father and Jesus. And Timothy is not a servant in an identical way to how Jesus was a servant because, well, Jesus is Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, as we confess. Rather, Paul is describing Timothy in this way so people can look at him and they can consider what Paul is saying and think to themselves, that's like Jesus. Anyone who is equal but doesn't act like it and in fact acts contrary to it, yep, that's like Jesus. Anyone who becomes a servant of the gospel, yep, that's like Jesus. And not just like Jesus, though. Again, let's be clear. To live is Christ. Timothy is participating in the life of Christ. Not just mimicking, not just imitating Jesus. Christ is living in him, and he is living in Christ. Christ is living within us, church, and we are living in Christ. So that's a reminder that we're not just seeing a, an image of Christ in Timothy. We are, in fact, seeing Jesus in him. So, church, please, let us be equal to one another like Paul and Timothy were equals. But let none of us act like it. Let's be real. I am, in fact... Sister Fraley's equal, but there's no reason I need to act like that, right? So again, let's be equal, but not act like it. And let us live Christ by becoming servants of the gospel like St. Timothy did. So that was Timothy. Then there's St. Epaphroditus. That's the name of my fifth son. I know that I have to have a fourth first. One step at a time, church. We haven't even gotten to daughters yet. <sighs> Let's very briefly consider Epaphroditus as well. Paul wants to send Timothy to the church, but the church has already sent Epaphroditus to Paul so that as a representative of the church, he might minister to Paul in his hardships in prison. Because Paul's in prison. We shouldn't, we shouldn't forget that. Epaphroditus has, uh, came as a servant of Paul from the church that Paul is writing to. The church selected him, and he was obedient in his, in his mission. But Paul knows that the church has been worried about Epaphroditus because they heard he got really sick. Paul admits that even he was worried. He mentions it not once, but twice that Epaphro Epaphroditus almost died. He says it the first time, and the second time he says that it was specifically because of his obedience to Christ 
that he drew near to death through sickness. He was obeying Jesus and almost died because of it. But Paul says God had mercy on him. He was healed. He was raised from his sickbed. And he is well. I want you to think again about how Paul describes the work of Christ. We read it this morning. Jesus was sent to accomplish a mission, kind of like how Epaphroditus was sent to accomplish a mission. Christ was sent to serve, just as Epaphroditus was sent to serve Paul. But in this work, Epaphroditus drew near to death. He almost died, but God had mercy. You know know who else drew near to death when he was sent somewhere? Jesus. Of course, Jesus didn't just draw near to death. He actually died. But God raised Jesus from the dead. God had mercy on Epaphroditus and delivered him from death. Now, just like with Timothy, it's not a strict parallel. But it isn't supposed to be. Instead, like what Paul wants us to do is look at Epaphroditus and say, that reminds me of Jesus. Epaphroditus lives Christ. Christ is in him, and he is in Christ. Christ died, and by his stripes, Epaphroditus is healed. So church, I ask us, let us be obedient. Let us be willing even to draw near to death for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord himself. I want to also invite us to look upon the sickness of our fellow Christians, especially when they fall ill in the context of their faithful obedience to the call of God and the mission of the church. Let us look on their sickness and say, this suffering is the suffering of Christ. We should look on their sickness and say, God will raise them from this, if not today, then tomorrow, and for sure on the last day. I hope that this is some encouragement to those of you who struggle with systemic health problems. Those of you who are elderly, I believe this. Your suffering is for Jesus. Those aches and pains that you cannot describe to anybody else. The way in which you lose a few words every time someone talks and have to ask them to repeat themselves. Your suffering is for Jesus. We have more than a couple people with type 1 diabetes in the church. And perhaps a few more with type 2. Your diabetes is Christ's. And Christ's resurrection... Well, let me put it this way. Christ's resurrected pancreas is yours. By his stripes, we are healed. Amen? Jesse, you can call them those sheeps. I really butchered that. You can call those sheep... Those are the children. You can call the rocks. Jesse does sometimes remind me of John the Baptist, and he is, John the Baptist is the one who said, these rocks will cry out. So Jesse can call on those rocks. I want to close today by drawing attention to one other last tiny little bit of Christ-like behavior in this passage as an exhortation and encouragement to us as a church. I've already said it, but let me repeat myself. The church sent Epaphroditus to Paul. 
Paul wants to send Epaphroditus back, and he wants to send Timothy. They're sending people to each other. This insistence on sending people to be present with others is also to live Christ. I mean, when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, the most basic and immediate thing we can say is that this was the moment that God was with us. And we should live Christ like this too. The very presence of Christ himself came with Epaphroditus to Paul. And Timothy would bring the presence of Christ to the church that Paul wanted to send him to. So hear me out, church. When we show up to visit each other, we are bringing the presence of Jesus Christ to each other. So visit each other. Josh and Kara brought Jesus with them to my house yesterday afternoon, and I was blessed, as did Lydia. Bring Christ to each other. Visit each other in your homes. Uh, I've heard that a few of you have started grabbing a cup of coffee at Quickstar. Is it Quickstar? Yeah. Keep doing that. And invite others. You could also go to the Java house. You don't have to go to Quickstar. We're not endorsing businesses here. Come here to church, though, too, and be blessed and encouraged and enjoy the wonderful and joyful presence of Jesus Christ in each other. Think about that. Every time you show up here, you're being the presence of Christ to someone else, and they are to you. So with that in mind, we are now going to celebrate the presence of Christ in this meal, the meal that Jesus himself said and continues to say is his body and his blood. Amen. I'm going to invite Holly. Will you come on back up?